Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. We're kind of through the month of April here doing this little series of messages called The Game of Life. And we've been talking about different aspects that are important for us to understand how to make life um, successful. If you've ever played the game of life, and that's a picture of it right there, uh, you have a little spinner wheel and, and you have a little car that you're given and, and so you're a person in the car and then you get a wife or a husband and you get children and so forth and that's what goes in the rest of those holes there and you spin the spinner and it tells you how many moves to make and then you move those particular maze and you land on a consequence and the consequence tells you either something good or something bad and you know that's kind of how life goes there are times in life that things really are clicking and doing well in times of life, that uh, things are more of a challenge. And then one of the interesting things about this game is uh, you can come up to a, what we might call a Y or a fork in the road, you know, and you can choose to go to the right so many spaces or you can choose to go to the left so many spaces. And what I have found out in life is that going and choosing which one to go to and so forth can have a great consequence to your future and, and what's going to happen for you down the line. And so um, we've been talking about some very important truths that we need to understand in order to make the game of life more than just a game and more than just a chance. In other words, to bring the blessings and the favor of God into our lives. We've been talking about that. And today I want to talk with you about uh, this whole issue of of why you and I exist. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Why do I exist? Uh, what is my purpose? I really think that probably most of us in life, we come to us, uh, you know, as we mature and get older and become more self-aware and so forth, we, we become kind of um, more aware of that question. And, and, and it touches our life. You know, God, why am I here? Um, do I have a purpose? Is, is there a plan for particular life and and that's what we want to talk about with you today about do I why do I exist God why am I here uh, at this time in history instead of in the future sometime or in the past sometime do you have a plan for me and I really think that knowing what life and specifically what knowing about your life personally is all about is probably one of the most important questions you will ever discover it really will guide and direct the decisions that you make with your life. And really, this stems from a desire to know, do I have significance or am I just here by chance? Do I have significance or am I just here by chance? I was watching a TV show this um, past week on the National Geographic channel and maybe some of you have watched it. It's called One Strange Rock. And it's been a rather fascinating series of, of shows to watch. It's about, it's about the planet that we live on and things that science has discovered about the planet. It's very interesting uh, 
to see how one thing connects with another thing and so forth. But anyway, this past week, it was talking about specifically um, not only how our planet came to be, how the universe came to be, but how we as human beings came to be. And while much of what was said was really intriguing and very interesting, of course, it was all presented from a rev- uh, an evolutionary point of view. So evolution is what made all of this, and chance happenings and so forth is what made all of this uh, come together. But one of the things, and, and I'm not a real intelligent guy, and I'm certainly not a scientist, but, you know, I sit there and kind of scratch my head when I watch some of these shows because none of them ever get to where did it all start from. They say, well, these things happened which produced what we have today, the earth, and then life came and emerged out of all that. But what created the stuff that happened in the first place? Where did that come from? There is absolutely no answer to that. And so it leaves you with, with kind of a, a, a sense of, you know, this theory called evolution, and by the way, do you know it's still called the theory of evolution? It is taught in schools as though it is a fact, and some of you have believed that it's a proven fact. That is not true. It's presented that way, but it's still a theory. And I will, I will tell you from my own personal observation, it takes as much faith to believe in evolution as it does in an all-loving, all-knowing God, all-powerful God who spoke it all into existence. And, and, and the scientists will look down on us as though we're inferior intellectually because we believe in a God. But the reality is you can, you can look at facts, I can look at facts, and de- depending on what you uh, want to believe will determine how you interpret those facts. And so if you do not want to believe in a God, you can arrive at certain conclusions which those facts don't really substantiate, but you arrive at them because that's your preferred paradigm. Or if you do believe in God, you can see it from a total different angle. And uh, in fact, Carrie and I last night watched a, a, an hour and a half long video that we purchased online it's entitled, Is Genesis History? And I would really encourage you to get this video. I can't remember exactly what it cost, but probably about 10 bucks. But if you just go onto Google and just, or Amazon and just, Is Genesis History? and look for the video. There's several different types of resources there. It's, it's put out by a guy by the name of Del Tackett, T-A-C-K-E-T-T. And it's, it's, it's a studious approach to the whole subject of, of creation. But is Genesis history or is it just fiction? Man, it was a, that was an engaging hour and a half we spent last night watching this and seeing how different facts can be interpreted differently depending on what the paradigm you come from and how you want it to to play out. And so what I'm telling you is, from my point of view, it takes as much faith to believe in evolution that this all just by chance happened, uh, maybe even more so, than it takes to believe in God. And the stamp of God is all over this thing called creation. 
So if you get that video, it'll, you'll understand more deeply what I'm talking about, and I'd really encourage you to get it. Uh, to me, one of the, the big problems with evolution is what it does to the value of the human soul. Because if we're nothing more than a, a coming together of a bunch of chemicals with an energy and all of this stuff coming all together by chance, if that's all this is, then human life has no more value than the amoeba. We have no more value than any other form on the, on the, of life on the planet. And that's where evolution will leave you, void of any real sense of value. Because if evolution is true, then it's just a chance that you're here. It just happened to take place. You have no sense of real value. So the, the question then is, is, is that true? Are, is all life of the same value? Or is there something intrinsically different about human beings compared to other life on this planet? Is there something special about the human life God says we have the stamp of his image upon us. Is that true? I'm not saying that other life has no value. I'm saying is there something intrinsically different and special about this, this group of life forms called human beings? You might be interested in knowing that people in the, even people in the Bible had those kinds of questions. Listen to what Jeremiah in the Old Testament asked in chapter 20, verse 18. Why was I born? Was it only have trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace? Any of you ever have a day like that? I don't know how long he, he felt that way, but that, he certainly felt that way for a day. And basically he's asking here, God, do I have value? Because in his case, he's working for God as a prophet and nothing's going right. And everybody's rejecting what he has to say. And so he's saying to himself, well, what's the point of all this, God? Do I have any value? It doesn't seem like what I'm doing for you is turning out very well. You know, the former chairman of the Department of Philosophy at Northeastern University once wrote to 250 what we would call kind of well-known philosophers and scientists and writers and intellectuals of our world. And he asked them this question, in your mind, what is the purpose of life? And then he published their responses in a book. And frankly, the book was very depressing. From all these scientists and philosophers and intellectuals, their answers to that question was very depressing. Some said that they had no idea what the purpose of life was. Now, these are the philosophers that are supposed to be setting up for all the rest of us. Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, wrote, I don't know the meaning or the purpose of life, but it looks as if something were meant by it. Isaac Asimov said, as far as I can see, there is no purpose. How would you like to go to him for counseling? Joseph Taylor wrote a book entitled, I have no, <laughs> this is the title of the book, I have no answers to the meaning of life, and I no longer want to search for any. Kind of a long title. But this is what God says. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for his own purposes. For his purpose. That's saying that everything has been made 
with a reason behind it, a purpose behind it. And specifically, God has that purpose. He owns the purpose. And so when you think of the, uh, on a bigger scale, the desert and, and the fertile field, they both have their purpose. And so if you live in, in the desert like we do and you get a lot of, you, you get a lot of uh, wind and you get a lot of heat and, and, and you get a lot of sunshine and lack of rain and so forth, sometimes you can, you, you can, you can get tired of the lack of rain. You can, I know it's probably not the time of year to say that because we're really enjoying the sunshine today. But you can actually get at points where it seems like, are we ever going to have a cloud? Are we ever going to have any rain? You know, that type of thing. You, you can get tired of it. But then if you live in the U.S. Northwest, you can get real tired of all the rain and the clouds and the mustiness and, and so forth. But both the desert and the rainforest have their purpose. God created them with purpose. Both the rock and the tree have their purpose. And you have a purpose. You were created by God with a specific purpose and for a reason. And life is only fulfilling when you know your purpose and can answer that question, why do I exist? Why am I here? So to help you answer that question, I want to make three simple statements and observations here. Number one, I would say this, you were planned for. And you might say that's not true. My mom and my dad were shocked when they found out I was coming. And it, you, I, will, I will concede that you may have been a surprise to your mom and dad, but you were no surprise to God. In fact, he planned for you. Hallelujah. He knew you were coming, and he has a plan for your life. Listen to Ephesians 1.4. Long before he, meaning God, laid down earth's foundations, he had us in his mind individually had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. So why are you and I here? I underlined it right there. Because he wants us to be the focus of his love. We are the focus of God's love. God is not focused on the moon and the sun primary. Oh, I mean, he knows about them. He, and because he's all-knowing... He has all knowledge about all of that. But the focus, the laser beam of his attention is you. It's you. It's you tomorrow morning when you go to work. It's you tomorrow morning when you drive down Bangor. It's you tomorrow morning when you have to go I-15. It's you where you work. It's you where you live. It's you with the physical difficulties you're dealing with right now. It's you with the promotion that's coming tomorrow uh, for you. Hallelujah. Claim that one right there. You know, It's the laser of God's blessing and favor and love in your life. Now, I know some of you might say, well, if God loves me so much, then why is my life such a mess? If you knew what I'm going through, you'd never say, God loves me. But I, what I want you to understand today is that it isn't God's fault that these things have happened. You know, insurance, the insurance industry has this little phrase they call acts of God. Isn't that nice? So every really bad thing that happens, it's an act of God. You know, I don't know what the point 
how that originated, it probably just means it's bigger than us, you know, and that's true, like the hurricane's bigger than us, you know, we can't control it one way or the other, but we get this idea that God goes around calling, causing tornadoes and, and cancer and, 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 you know, conflict and terrorism or whatever, you know, but what I want you to understand is that it's not God's fault these things are happening. I think there's three reasons why bad, bad things happen. Number one, it's because sin is in the world, and sin is corrupting this planet. It's not just corrupting human beings and the human soul. It's gone beyond that, and it's corrupting the whole planet. Sometimes you'll read in the Old Testament when God sends Israel in to conquer a portion of the promised land, uh, the scripture will make this this statement when he when God says, "I want you to to destroy these nations that were here before," because He says the land is literally vomiting them out because of their corruption, because of their sin, because of what they have become. It has made creation sick. And creation is vomiting them out, and you're going to be my instrument of delivering creation from the effects of this sin. And so we see this all the time, not only the sin of people, but the effect of that sin upon creation itself. And that's why some bad things happen. Another reason is because of the choices people make. So sometimes bad things happen to people because others make a bad choice and the consequences are passed down the line. And so somebody is texting while they're driving and they go through the intersection and they T-bone somebody. That's a very bad day when that happens to you. It's not your fault. You were doing the right thing. It was a bad choice they made to text while they were driving. Or maybe an expectant mother takes drugs during her pregnancy and the innocent little life within her suffers the consequences of that either not being born because of it or being born with incredible issues to deal with, complications. Or a tyrant in Syria decides that he's going to gas his own people and innocent babies die a horrible death. God didn't do that. People with a free will did that. It's a fact that the sin of one can affect the lives of many, many other people. So bad things happen because of the bad choices that people make and the effect that has on the rest of us. No man is an island. Thirdly, bad things happen because of the choices you and I make. We do it to ourselves. So some of what happens to us is the result of a lot of bad choices that we make over a period of time. They are what we might call self-inflicted wounds, and, and we live with that. So what is the answer to all this? It's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus Christ. God wants to focus his love on you so much so that he sent his son, Jesus, to repair what has been broken between us and God. And if we will turn our lives over to God through Jesus Christ, God will begin to repair what has been broken irreparably. 
he'll begin to repair. What, that's why the Lord says what is impossible with man is possible with God. Hallelujah. So why do you and I exist? To be repaired by this incredible love of God that he has. You are an object of his incredible love. Number two, I want to say this. Your life matters. Sometimes we can look at our lives and not feel very valuable. Isaiah, another Old Testament prophet, went through that. He talked about it in verse four, or chapter 49, verse 4. He says, my work all seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. See, pastors have bad days too. And that, that's what he was going through. But your life matters. Your life matters because God has a purpose for you to fulfill. He planned for you. And he developed a careful uh, and intricate agenda for your life. He knew you were coming, and he planned for you personally. I mean, a lot of people think that God loves the world. Okay, but does God really love me? Yeah, so much so that he has a plan for your life. And even though some of us, well, all of us really, have messed up our lives incredibly by living in rebellion to him for a certain season of our, our lives, God is able to restore and put the plan back into action, to heal the past and put the plan back into action. But here is the catch. For that to happen, you have got to make Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord. You have got to turn ownership over to him and let him control your life. You'll never know what your purpose is unless you let God show you that purpose. He's the creator of your life. You are no mistake to God, and if you will let him, he'll take the pain and the problems that you are facing, even right now, and he'll turn them into blessings you could never have imagined if you'll turn it all over to him and walk in his ways, which means you might get challenged, which means you might have to change your ways, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But if you will do that and, and be honest with God and let him speak to you, I'm just going to reveal my own soul here just a little bit. I'm reading a, a book right now about the, the seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation. And the author compares the seven spirits of God to the, the seven beatitudes that Jesus spoke. And, of course, the first beatitude is, uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And, um, you know, I've always interpreted that to mean understanding my need for God. You know, if I'm, if I'm cocky and I think I'm rich and I got it all together, not rich in money necessarily, but, you know, I, I've just got it all together and I, and I don't, I, I'm good enough, and, and, you know, if you have that kind of attitude, you know, you're going down. But if you have a humble spirit and, and, you're, and you say, God, I am poor inside, I've got to have you, you'll be blessed. And that's how I inter and that is, of course, true, but it's bigger than that. And I really got convicted while I was reading that chapter. I didn't like that chapter at all. I kept looking for the end of the chapter so I could go to the next one. But he talked in there, he says, you know, um, when, when we are less than kind to other people, 
And so we're on the road, and and we know that the two lanes we're we're on is going to go down to one lane, and we got these cars over here on the right side, and you know that some of them are going to want to cut in front of you, and so you just get on the tail end of the car in front of you. So the I, I've heard about that. I don't do this. I've heard about people doing this. You know, I've seen Carrie do it. Um, you know, so it's 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 always burden me. Um, I just pray in tongues. And uh, anyway, so, and so you get on the tail of that guy, you know, so this guy over here can't get in. And man, I'll tell you what, that just conviction, conviction, conviction. And I started thinking, God, all over the place, I thought I was fulfilling what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, but I haven't been poor. I have pushed myself and aggressively tried to make myself the winner in everything, which is the way you do in America. Maybe it's the way that you do here in the world. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? We've, we've got to be at the point where we're willing to say, Jesus, I haven't been doing it right. And I've got a flaw in my nature and in my character, and I need your help. I need for you to change me. I want to be changed. And so now when I'm driving out there, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor. Come in, yes, yes, come on, come on over, you know, yeah. I'm not going anywhere important. Come on on over here, you know, just get in front of me. This will be just fine, you know. Well, I'm not quite there yet. I have to remind myself constantly, poor in spirit. Poor. And there have been a few times I said, oh, God, I wasn't very poor in spirit right there, you know. I think that's what we have to be willing to do is let God speak to us about areas of our life, not just get religious about this thing. Well, I went to church Sunday. That'll be good enough. Man, an hour and 15 minutes. Are you kidding me? Woo, used to be just an hour in that church. Now they're doing an hour 15. What do they want, my whole week? (laughs) Pretty soon they'll be up to an hour 20. Ah, you know. But saying, God, gee whiz, whatever it takes, make the image of Christ in me. When you do that, you start finding your purpose, and you start having a sense of your value to God. Listen to how much you matter to God. In Isaiah 44, verse 2, God tells us, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. Man. You talk about being individual with us. Psalm 139, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Isn't that amazing? You matter so much to God that he has planned an unimaginable future for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 No mere man has ever seen, heard, or even imagined what wonderful things God is ready for those who love him. How many of you believe him? How many of you believe that? Amen. So why do you exist? Because your life matters. And the devil will try to tell you you have no value. And some of you are going through physical struggles right now, and maybe at one time you were able to, you know, just do it. And now age has crept up and you can't do what you used to do and you want to do more for God and all of those things. 
Things do change in life, but your value never changes. And you may have a different purpose to fulfill as you age, but your purpose and value never changes. You have a different, a different set of uh, duties to do for God, a different way God wants to express his love through you, but the, your value never changes to God. Your life matters. Okay, number three, I just want to say this, that only God gives us value and purpose. Psalm 89, verse 47. I've given you all these really depressing kind of scriptures here. Why did you create us? For nothing? Another very bad day. You know, when you don't know your purpose in life, life can become very frustrating because you don't know how... If you don't know something's purpose... Uh, you don't use it right. It doesn't function right. If any of you have bought a car in the last 15 years, you probably, for the first time in your life, those of you who are older like I am, had to start reading the owner's manual. Because there's so much stuff. And, and so I've got, and the owner's manual is this thick now. What did Mark call him? The sale car person? Uh, it's the car salesperson, Marco. Okay. You know, he got it backwards there. Uh, but it's, it's this thick, you know. And you, get, you better read the whole thing if you want to know how to make that. It's not just getting in and turning it on anymore. And, and go, it, it, I mean, you can do that, I guess. But if you want to get the features out of that car that you're paying for, you better read the owner's manual. If you don't, you're liable to abuse the thing or misuse it, have it do stuff it's not created for. Carrie and I talked, this is unbelievable, it's true. We talked to a lawyer a number of years ago who told us about a man who was suing a lawnmower company because he had cut several of his fingers off of both of his hands with the lawnmower. You see, he decided he was going to trim his hedge with his lawnmower. And so he picked it up, and immediately, several of his fingers were detached from his hand. So he was suing the lawnmower company for not warning him that you're not supposed to pick it up while it's running. That's a true story. So if you don't know what the purpose of something is, you, may, you might use it wrongly and pay a consequence. So how do you figure out the purpose of something? Well, probably two ways. Either you talk to the manufacturer, or the inventor, or the creator, whatever you want to call him, or you read the owner's manual. For most of us, it's, it's the latter. But in your life, it actually, you have the chance to do both of those things. You can talk to the creator, and you can read the owner's manual, which is the Bible. And that's the only way to find out what your purpose is. you got to do those things. So listen to what the owner's manual has to say, Proverbs 9.10. Nothing God, or excuse me, knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. You know, and that, I don't have time, but that get that video, is Genesis history. Knowing God helps interpret the things that's going on in the world that has gone on. You'll be amazed at what you see. Colossians 1.16, 
for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him, in Christ, and finds its purpose in him. Ephesians 1, 11, it's in Christ that we find out who we are, what we're living for, and the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. So that verse says that God is working out an overall purpose in our lives, and it's a wonderful thing to let God lead your life. But that doesn't mean it's always easy. Sometimes God leads you into decisions and into changes that may or may not be to your liking. But in the end, the change brings uh, the best outcome. And so I have to end the service this morning um, by sharing with you a change that is coming to carry in me. Um, this past week, I shared a couple of scriptures with our pastors and with our board. One of those scriptures is from Joshua 13, verse 1, and this is what it says. When Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, You are growing old and much land remains to be conquered. I really pay attention to scriptures that talk about old men now. I used to kind of skim over that part, you know, but now all of a sudden it's starting to mean something to me. Another scripture I shared with the board and the staff was out of Acts 13, verse 36, which says, After David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried. Well, over the past uh, couple of years, I guess, Carrie and I have, uh, we've just been kind of, you know, seeking God about what, where we fit, what our purpose is, you know, what he's doing in our lives and everything. And um, we've been feeling kind of that, what Joshua, you go back to that one, Scott, the Joshua 13.1 scripture there. We've been kind of feeling that you're growing old and much more land remains to be conquered. That was true of Joshua. You know, Joshua followed Moses and so forth, um, and he helped Israel get into the promised land. But they hadn't completed the task yet, and so he said, Joshua, you're getting old. You've got to get this. You've got to start directing this so it can happen. And so that was true of Joshua, but it's also true of us today. We are growing old, and... Uh, Well, I wish I could just stop right there. We're growing old. And you say, yeah, what's new? We've been watching that for 17 years, but there's a lot that needs to be accomplished through this church. And um, we have become convinced that Life Church needs new, younger leadership to bring it to pass. In Acts 13, it says that David served the will of God in his generation. I think... I hope, you can go to that scripture, uh, Scott. I hope that that's true of us. I think it is. I look back on all of this. And I don't think that we're ready to die just yet. But I do feel that we're dying to our level of leadership and what we've been. 
it's coming to an end. Last Tuesday, Carrie and I shared with uh, our staff and then with our board this hard decision that we've come to that it's time for us to retire from full-time ministry and to let a new generation step in and take their place of leadership. Um, some of you know this. I, for a number of years, served our district, which is the states of Colorado and Utah, and we call it the Rocky Mountain District. Now it's called the Rocky Mountain Ministry Network. And I served as the assistant superintendent, so you had three three uh, executive officers, the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, and secretary-treasurer. And I served uh, as a pastor still, but I served as um, as the assistant soup. And the other two positions were um, full-time positions. And in 2011, I just really felt like it was time for a new generation to step in and take my place. And so I stepped, I was 59 years old then, I stepped off and allowed a younger man to be elected by the district and have always felt like that was a good move because I don't think these positions are for us to hold on to and to covet and to, you know what I'm saying? I think they, they go like water through your hand. They all, we all change. Things, things come and things go. And uh, this has been really hard for us because we have been in full-time ministry for 44 consecutive years. And yeah, and um, oh, thank you. Sit down, sit down, please. <laughs> and uh, forty of those years have been as senior pastors. And um, but as Ecclesiastes three says, there's a time for everything, and it's our time to step aside. <laughs> So our last Sunday as Senior Pastors of Life Church will be Sunday, June the 17th, which just happens to be our anniversary Sunday. It'll be our 17th anniversary that Sunday. And um, this church has been the joy of our lives. Now, don't you dare tell my other two churches that I pastored that I said that, because I will lie and deny it. And then I'll have to repent and it'll be a big deal, so don't say that. But you guys, some of you know this. I didn't want to come here when we came. I didn't. Church was a mess, and it had gone through so much difficulty. And I just didn't think I had the emotional energy. I was coming out of a terrible depression myself, and I didn't think I could do it. But I'm so grateful that God led us here. You guys were a healing for me and for Carrie. And hopefully we've blessed you. So our board is forming itself into a pastoral search committee to begin the process of discerning the person that they believe is God's will to fill this vital position. The final decision, of course, will be that of the membership of the church. And the board will let you know when um, a, um, a specially called business meeting will be held and, and you who are members of the church will be able to make the vote on that because that's how we do things here. Um, so that'll be coming down. And I just really encourage you to pray for your board leadership team. Some of these guys are in the service right now. Some are in the next service. If you're here right now, would you please stand so people can know who you are. Tim McLaren um, back here in the back. Dave Pearson right here in the front. Um, let's see, is there any other? Warren Stanton, are you here? Yeah, okay. Tammy Jones right there. These, those two are backsliders. They're up in the balcony. 
um, you know, we, we need to pray for a move of God on their, their heart. I'm not implying that about anybody else up there. I'm just talking about those two people. <laughs> uh, pray for them. And then we have um, Steve Valencia and uh, Bill Cheek. I think they're probably in the first or second service. Uh, you can be seated now. Thank you. Uh, these guys are carrying a very heavy burden that they didn't expect. One week ago today, life was good. And then Tuesday, I dropped the bomb on them, you know. As a point of information out of that group, and of course, like I said, Bill Cheek is, will be in the second service, but he's been appointed kind of like the point person for the board, and he's going to be receiving the emails. He'll be receiving the phone calls. He'll be receiving um, the, um, the resumes and so forth. And he will also be the guy who will come up here and keep you informed of what's going on. I will tell you that the board has asked me to help them through this process, and I will do all I can to help over these next two months to see that um, happen. So I just want you to understand this, and I close with this. Carrie and I are doing this not because we have lost our burden for Life Church, but we're doing this because we love Life Church. And we want your future to be the best it can be. And we're really convinced in our heart that it's time for new leadership to come in, younger leadership that can reach a new generation for Jesus. Amen? All right. So we believe the future is bright. It will be filled with challenges, but it will also be filled with great victories. And as you unite together in prayer, you unite together in spirit, the blessings and favor of God will continue to rest upon this church. And know this, that we're praying for you and we love you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.